Hello and welcome to Wine Blast with me, Susie Barry, and my husband and fellow Master of Wine, Peter Richards. Now, it is no secret that we are partial to the odd glass of wine. I think we are. Are we not? (laughs) But it is also true to say that we are finding more and more that our glass is filled with wine grown in our own home country. Yeah. Isn't it? There we go. Um, You know, someone asked the question recently, uh, what is the most exciting country or region for wine right now and you know, there's just no question to my mind that it is Great Britain you know mm-hmm. th- there are lots of countries and regions that are doing interesting you know even brilliant things you know all around the world but but I, I'm not biased in this I just you know I'm trying to look at this as a global <laughs> overview you know, a little bit. to see an entire wine category emerging from virtually nothing yeah you know from a bit of a joke to world class in the space of what 20, 30, 30 years? 20, 30 yeah. years, yeah. You know, yeah. Essentially since the turn of the millennium, really. You know, that is thrilling in wine mm. terms, isn't it? You know, mm. I mean, wine doesn't really do drama. You know, oh, it wine moves, doesn't move that fast. Exactly, it moves too slowly. There's only one harvest a year, so you can't have massive innovation happening really, really quickly. This is about as quick as it gets, you know. But to have it happening right in front of our eyes, you know, that's, that's something special. But whatever you make of it, whatever you make of what's happened to date... What we're looking at in this episode is what the future holds for English and Welsh wines, isn't it? Mm. Um, You know, what's the next chapter in this intriguing story? Um, Is it the bleak wastelands of boom and bust? Um, And it wouldn't be the first time, let's face it, that that's happened. No, that's very Um, true. Or or is it the sunny uplands of healthy sales, ever more vineyards, massive employment and idyllic tourist destinations? So, So bleak wastelands and sunny uplands. I like the sunny uplands. I love where you go. Anything That's with sunshine is, is my kind of yeah, thing. No, you're not really a bleak wastelands kind of person. <laughs> I don't like bleak wastelands. They're cold. Yeah, no, you and T.S. Eliot, I'm not sure you have much in common. You know, but, you know, could it equally be something in between those two mm-hmm. things? You know, sunshine and showers, perhaps. perhaps. Who knows? That's a very English forecast. Isn't it? <laughs> I think it's important to add at this stage, uh, we have a fantastic giveaway as part of this episode. We do um, indeed. Wine GB have very kindly agreed to give one lucky listener a six-bottle case of medal-winning wine from the Wine GB Awards, which uh, mm-hmm. you chaired, and thus, you know, have the uh, official Susie Barry seal of approval. Is yep, that right? Yeah, they do. These are award-winning <laughs> wines, really special. Um, and that case actually would cost you quite a bit. Yeah, uh, so, so it's a prize well worth playing for. Mm. And to be in the running to win, all you have to do is give Wine Blast a rating and review wherever you get your podcast, mm. whether that's Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever. Then please just let us know you've done that. Either, mm. either you can do that via social social media or email. Mm-hmm. Uh, email is contact at susieandpeter.com. And for social, we're on Instagram as at Susie and Peter or Twitter as at Wine Schools or at Susie Barry if you never want to win the competition because I never check my Twitter. So I'd stick with at Wine Schools if yeah, I were you. You could send us a postcard equally. Yeah, that would be your favourite favorite way of doing it. Seaside postcard. <laughs> Love it. Uh, a naughty, cheeky seaside postcard. It's frankly, if anyone does that, I think they're going to win. They're going to win. They're going to really win. Um, <laughs> but, you know, also about this, from what I remember, the last person to win a case like this not only enjoyed them hugely, but, you know, shortly after receiving them, went on to pass his uh, Wine and Spirit Education Trust Level 2 exam with what grade? I what think grade? it was 100%. 100%. You know, Jonathan, we still love yeah. your work. Um, you know, so these wines clearly give you superpowers. They do, I don't indeed. want to pick them up too much. Let's, so he, he didn't drink them. We made a point they didn't drink them just before his exam. They arrived, he the case them, arrived just before the exam. Save them till 
after his exam. Which was Herculean um, feats of, of self-control, yeah. as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Absolutely. Anyway. anyway, to come back to this episode, we wanted to look at this mainly to mm. get stuck into some of the criticism surrounding English wine at the moment. You know, what the prophets of doom are saying um, mm. and measuring that up against the facts and figures. We can't do an episode without stats, can we? can't. We, you know, we can't. I you love feel, your stats. I would feel lost without so, stats. So wait for Peter and his stats. Keeps me um, grounded. Keeps me centred. <laughs> you do love them, don't you? Um, but also, we wanted, of course, we want your stats, but we wanted to hear what the winemakers themselves are saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, but this is also because of the party, wasn't it? Where does the party come from? Party? What are you talking about? The party. What party? The party. Yeah, fair enough. We don't go um, to many parties. We don't go to many parties, so we know exactly no. which party we're talking about. <laughs> Good Lord. It's the, the only party we've been to in the last 10 years. So we were lucky enough. We were lucky mm. enough to be invited to the opening of the new pig in the South Downs, which has its own mini vineyard. It is a mini vineyard. It is a mini vineyard. So you've got some gamay in there, hasn't beautiful, it? Beautiful. Well, it has, it has. It's a fun um, mini vineyard. Beautifully formed. Yeah. But if you don't know the pigs, um, they are restaurants with rooms and they're all about, you know, local sourcing. Mm. Um, so they sell a lot of English wine as a result. I think it's How about 30,000 30, bottles. 30, bottles so, so far. That was a figure mentioned. So yeah. far. Um, now, at this party, one of the wines of the night was not English. It was an Italian mm. red, Guarda Altasso, so 2010, um, which was Oh my goodness, stunning, stunning. with some, stunning. some lovely braised lamb shell. I mean, yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous. gorgeous. Mm. Um, and it's fair to say, let's be honest, the UK just can't do that. No. It, it's simply just not warm enough to grow red Bordeaux varieties really successfully. Yeah, and, and equally there, there were quite a few people saying English wines are well and good, uh, but it's a bubble. You know, people are getting overexcited. It won't last. It's too expensive. There'll be overproduction, yeah, which will yeah. be so, ruinous. So, so we have um, we had a, a fantastic Italian wine. Yeah. Every, not everybody, a few people saying that you know English wines a are couple, bubble, yeah. um, and it's it's not going to last. But on the other hand, one of the moments of the evening for me, and I think for both of us actually, was mm. was tasting the most beautiful wine, a uniquely. English wine. I'm not sure any other wine would have suited the moment quite as well on that balmy summer's evening. Um, it was the Whiston Estate Rosé 2014, which is just stonking. It's so vibrant and and it's complex. It's captivating, um, and and it and it made me think. No English wine can't do or be everything. But when people mm. work hard to produce wines that are unique, that are beautifully made, that speak of where they come from, you know, as we say, vibrant, pure, fresh, uplifting, that have a great story behind them, that's surely something to be celebrated. And it proves the UK really does deserve a seat at wine's top table. Yeah, but, um, okay. Soapbox. Yeah, Off fine. The soapbox no, yeah, now. Fine. I, I thought I'd let you, let you just run with that. Um, you know, <laughs> they're never going to be cheap, are they? No, no, but they're not going to be cheap, but they do offer they offer value versus their competitors. You know, champagne mm. for sparkling wines, that would be, or or Burgundy, particularly Chablis for still Chardonnays and then the Pinot Noirs. Um, the best UK wines, they more than hold their own. Mm. And they're grown on the doorstep of one of the best wine markets in the world. I mean, yeah. the UK gets through about 30 million bottles of champagne every year, which of course, isn't cheap. No. You know, that market, the champagne market, is mm. totally up for grabs. And and if champagne companies are investing like Tattinger, mm. like Pomery, I mean, that shows you they're convinced the commercial potential is here too. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's what we want to get into, isn't it, the future? Um, 
and we wanted to hear from some of the people at the heart of this issue, the winemakers. Um, so I took the microphone along to the Wine GB trade tasting, uh, which was pretty buzzy and noisy, wasn't it? So it apologies was indeed, for yeah. the uh, cacophony. Um, and I asked a series of questions about the future of UK wine, starting with the biggest challenges. Uh, and you'll, you'll never guess what came up at the top of the list of the biggest couldn't, challenges. Couldn't possibly <laughs> guess. Um the weather, yeah, perhaps. Um, you know, we wouldn't be Surely. British. We wouldn't be British <laughs> if the weather wasn't right at the top of our list of grumbles. Would we? Um, so now we're going to hear in turn from Dermot Sugru, a winemaker at Whiston Estate in Sussex, Ruth Simpson of Simpson's Wine Estate in Kent, and London-based Sergio Verillo of Black Book Winery uh, about the biggest challenges when it comes to English wine. Well, to be uh, to be specific about right now, it's the 2021 growing season, which is turning out to be an absolute abject nightmare. Um, but look, this this happens about once every five years. You have to expect uh, a, a nightmare in the vineyard, a nightmare due to weather. So it's outside of our control. Um, it's 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 just troubling that so many people are suffering. You know, it's 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 hard hard work, and it can be dispiriting and demoralizing if you're fighting disease like we've been fighting downy mildew uh, this year. So the biggest challenges facing English wine is still the climate. It, ultimately, it's been, um, ulti- it, I know it's been a complicated year and a half, and there's been extre- extraneous circumstances which have, be- which have provided a lot of challenges as well, but the climate remains undoubtedly the biggest challenge still for the, for the, uh, for the English wine scene. You know, last year, there were a lot of challenges with frost. This year, too. Um, however, this year also, because it's been so wet, that the challenges of, of, of downy mildew in particular are, um, you know, are, are, are always going to be... It's, it's not going to go away. And so I think it's, it's really looking at... You know, climate change is, is happening and it's here to stay. I think it's, it's not about global warming. It's about, uh, it's about freak weather conditions. Um, and then having to manage through vintages where you will... You know, we, if you look back over the past four years, 2018... Big vintage, lovely summer, you know, big volumes, but quality as well. 2019, um, it was a slightly cooler, wetter year, but you know, that last year frost, this year mildew. You know, you just it, it, you just have to get used to the the, the cyclical nature of it um, and, and adapt to the, the climate conditions as much as you can. The climatic challenges are probably the the the, the biggest one for us. Um, We've been making wine in the UK for the past four and a half years, and we've had four and a half, well, four completely different vintages with a fifth one that's completely different as well. Um, and it's a little bit more unique for us as we uh, we focus on still Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. So given given our, our marginal climate and given um, the variability in which we have here in the UK, it, it makes our, our selection ever more important. I don't think anyone would argue the climate isn't challenging here. I mean, let's face it. But, yeah. but you know, that when you think about it, the best wine around the world is made in marginal climates. Yes, I mean, maybe not too, this marginal, you but, you know, marginal hot, climates. You don't want it too cold, which yeah. means inevitably I mean, so there's going to ha- be some... You have to take the rough with the smooth, don't you? Yeah. You know, and, and it, it's clear, even in difficult vintages, we can almost always make some good wine yeah, here in the UK. well worth... Yeah, I mean, I think, it. you know, 2012 has been the only disaster real disaster in the last 20 years when mm. you know so little wine was yeah. made yeah what was that quote from from tacitus i think he described britain's climate as objectionable 
with its frequent rains and mists. Something's never changed, do they? <laughs> it still holds a bit. But equally, that was at the time of the Roman conquest. Things have moved on a bit since. And of course, they have. They have. You know, most recently with climate change. I know, you know, this isn't a linear thing. And Ruth rightly says that freak events are very problematic and, and will mm. continue to be more so. Yeah. You know, but that's all over the world. And as a general trend, I'd say the UK is, UK is probably better placed than, you know, the hotter, drier, lower lying vineyard areas from, you know, whether it's Australia or Southern Europe. Yeah. Near, well, near we're the starting equator. to see that a lot now, aren't exactly. we? Exactly. You know? So, you know, and according to, to Dr. Alistair Nesbitt, who's an expert in, in wine and climate change, who, who we've talked to a he's bit. He's the man. He's the man. Really interesting guy. You know, he said that the average growing season temperature is, you know, definitely trending upwards in the UK. It was about 13 degrees centigrade from 1954 to 1983. Then it moved up to 14 degrees centigrade from 2004 to 2013. So that's a big shift. And that's roughly, just out for context, that's roughly where Champagne was from 1960 to 1990. And it, it sounds small, but actually that, that 14 degree mm. barrier is really, that's the difference between viability and non-viability as far mm. as I understand for wine. So this is really, really important. You yeah. know, across the threshold, it's not, so it's not all doom and gloom. No, but it doesn't mean things aren't still quite tricky. Um, yeah. You know, vintage variation is is still a big issue. You know, yeah. if you look at the difference in production, I'm going I'm going to go with my facts and figures mm, now. Um, you, yeah. You've done yours. So so in in 2018 we made over 13 million bottles. One three. One three. Yeah. Over 13 million, but only. 4.1 million in 2016, mm. 1 million in 2012. I mean, last year was 8.7 million. So, you, you do know, have to factor in the fact that the, the vineyard's grown in that time as well. So, so there was less they, produced before anyway. There were in 2012, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. last year 8.7, you know, yeah. so that that's even that is quite yeah. a shift from 13. Mm. And, and Sergio makes a good point. You know, English still wines are looking really exciting, but it's even harder to get in grapes ripe enough to make still wine rather than sparkling. Mm. Um, so that's challenging too, but it can be done. And I think the overall trend that we're seeing in our glass and at the awards is just ever better quality wines, much more consistently good quality wine. And that's the key. That's absolutely the key, what we're seeing in the glass, isn't it? Now, the travails, the worries, the concerns of the winemakers are one thing. But if at the end of the day, they're getting really high quality, you know, different specific wines in yeah. the glass at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing, isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't mean everything's brilliant. But the, the, the quality is there, the consistency is there. That's brilliant. So we need to move beyond the weather, don't we? Um, Dermot Sugar raised. Yeah, we, we have to. Move on stage. from the weather. Oh, we have to. I'm sorry. My I, go, I need to like break that. this to you. Uh, no, she won't. Hygiene. Uh, Dermot Sugar raised another challenge, which is on everyone's lips at the moment. I suppose it's, it's, it's so many new brands coming onto the market all at the same time. Uh, it makes the world very, very competitive for, for all these new producers coming online. Uh, the older, more traditional, more established producers have got a, a track record, of course, and they've, they've, they've already established their routes to market. But it's challenging for new producers, and it, it'll be a shame when inevitably this kind of shakedown comes and, and producers will, will lose ground and, and lose money. And a lot of people who've got involved in it in order to maybe satisfy a, a lifestyle desire could find their their dreams troubled. So this is one of the main challenges on the horizon being cited by critics of English wine. Yeah. You know, the overproduction will inevitably lead to a boom and bust scenario. And it's, it's definitely true that production is set to grow pretty pretty punchily, yeah. isn't it? You know, it really uh, is, What is yeah. it, more than six million vines have been planted in the last three years? Yeah. Um, the vineyard's grown nearly fivefold 
in 15 years. That's crazy, isn't it? That's so it went from 793 hectares small in 2005, base. which was, yeah, it's a small base, to about 3,800 hectares now. That That's that's big growth. And But, yeah. I mean, you know, by way of context, it's still only a drop in the ocean. That's only 10% of Champagne's Absolutely, vineyard, isn't it? Yeah. Which is yeah. 34,000 hectares. But equally, that's still comparatively a lot of fruit and a lot of wine coming online for what is or has been today a pretty small category. Yeah, yeah. And not only have you got existing producers scaling up, but you've also got new operations. Um, mm. One of the big ones um, is MDCV based in Kent, which is owned by um, entrepreneur Mark Dixon, and that's aiming to produce up to 5 million bottles a year. Now, that's mm. a lot, considering, <laughs> as we said, the average production for, of all GB wine over the last five years has been, I think, 8.4 million bottles. Massive, you know, a few a yeah. few years ago, the wine, a wine GB report did posit a production of 40 million bottles by 2040, which, you know, fair enough, then that, that starts to become mm. more of a reality when yeah. you see people like this, you know, aiming for five million, you think, well, fair enough, yeah. that's one producer. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and and yeah, a lot of other people are scaling up as well. So so you're right, that's, these are big numbers. Are they scary numbers? You know, you, So growth is definitely on the agenda. We've got lots of people pushing for it. Question is, are we heading for a boom and bust? I don't know. I mean, to be honest, demand seems to be keeping up with supply at the moment. Mm. Um, you mm. could have said the same thing 10 years ago. And then, I mean, indeed, some of these same critics were saying they the same thing. Indeed. And they've been proved wrong so far. Um, so in in a sense, it's it, it, chicken and egg. You know, if yeah. UK wine producers aren't ambitious, they will never know what the market can take or not. Mm. Um, you know, sales were up 30% in 2020 to 7.1 million bottles. Mm. We're doing a lot of million bottles here, aren't we? Um, but there was significant growth, which is interesting, particularly in the direct-to-consumer sales. You know, 50% of all sales now are direct, mm. whether that's through, you know, website or seller door. That's so that's interesting in itself. That, I mean, but the, was that not just due to, the, due to the pandemic, sort of encouraging people to buy local? Yeah, I mean, partly, yes, absolutely. But I think once these habits start becoming normalised, they're not mm. going to necessarily disappear when the pandemic eases. Um, you know, and then, of course, we've got exports, which are admittedly still very small. You know, 4% of production is, is currently exported, but they're growing, you know, up mm. 51% in 2020. You know, apparently English wine is massive in Norway. Who knew? Massive in Norway. <laughs> massive in Norway. That's, that's the, the, what's that chat, the singer massive, massive in Norway, in that, that should have been next. David, hit, David Hasselhoff it? is massive in Japan. So English wine <laughs> is <laughs> massive in Norway. Isn't it, I, I mean, think Scandinavia is big, isn't it? Just generally. Yeah, I think it's like generally, 63% yeah. or something. It, of, it, of, of to English me, that makes export. total sense, though, the style that we make our English really? wines in, but maybe mm. this is going off slightly at a tangent, yeah. but, you know, that really embracing, fresh, you know, acidic style that, that's got the kind of the the quality and the, the, the breadiness to the autolytic character, but in a very kind of like spine tingling style. And somehow that's to me suits Scandinavian food. It goes well with your pickled herring and your, and your, and your, and your reindeer sausages and, and things like that. Reindeer? No. No, not reindeers. <laughs> I, how could you? I, did I you know, really just say that? that, is, no, that Pickled herring is fine. Reindeer, no. Classic match. No. Where have you been? Where shush, you been? <laughs> shush. You'll have the Reindeer Appreciation Society going nuts uh, in a minute. Yes. Yeah, we do yes, like reindeer. Yeah, mm, yeah, too. yeah. Anyway, it's not when an easy not job. Sausages. And I'm not talking about working with Peter Richards. Um, but there is decent potential, I think, for the UK wine, for it to grow internationally. Yeah, you would have thought the States and, and, and the Far East as well would yeah. have good, good potential as well as Europe. But, you know... I, Equally, you could raise the point, you could make the point that it, it suits established producers 
to raise questions about new entrants as well, given it just makes everything more competitive. You know, it's well, it's, yeah, it's there like is that. There is that. Yeah, I mean, especially nimbyism. actually, especially when some of the new wines are ruffling feathers. Um, mm, you know, some yes. of the new breed of tank fermented wines, so wines made mm-hmm. like prosecco rather than bottle fermented like champagne. You know, which is obviously the more traditional English yeah, sparkling yeah, yeah. wine. What was that? What was that new brand? Um, Harlot. I thought you, you might that? mention that. Uh, yeah. what, what did you make of that one? Well, this is so. This is this is brand new. It's a brand new English sparkling wine with a pretty garish label garish dare I say yeah. um, it's made in the Prosecco style it's from the Mark Dixon stable I believe um, it comes with a strap line can refuse to conform um, so mm. I think it's a deliberate attempt obviously to be controversial to make headlines um, personally going to be honest don't like the branding um, I think it's questionable at best mm. um, but in terms of the principle you know I have got nothing against people experimenting with different styles different price levels you know make what you can stick it in a can whatever you know have fun the main thing is whatever you do do it well Mm. you know it's up to the market to decide what deserves to stay and and what doesn't you know there's also obviously the gb classic method logo now which is quite new and that differentiates the traditional method sparkling wine if producers want to to do that Um, and you know and as i think as ever people will find and support brands and styles they like. It's as simple as that. But that also implies there will be losers as well as winners. Well, of course, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's business, isn't mm. it? You know, some producers or wines won't make it. Um, but I'd argue that's you know, it's not a calamity. It's not going to bring down the whole of English and Welsh wine if, if, if some producers go bust. I mean, it's mm. not nice, but, you know, there, there's bound to be the odd bit of for want of a better word, pruning along the way. Mm. You know, that's normal. That's that's healthy. Um, this is a young industry, you know, so having the freedom, I think this is the most important thing, having the freedom to find the best way forward, whether that's where to plant or or what to plant or what to make, that's an essential part of this process. But what do you think works best in the UK? Here? Yeah, what's our... What's what, our? what works best definitely is traditional method sparkling wine so you know champagne style Mm. um and increasingly i think there's still chardonnays and in you know the slightly better years the red pinot noirs Mm. still red pinot noir that brings us on quite neatly to 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 what is the the future um for english wine now this question i posed first to josh donahay spire head winemaker at chapel down uh which is still i think the biggest english producer by volume um and then also to dermot sugru ruth simpson and sergio Verillo. I think the future's bright. You know, we're, we're planting more vineyards. We're optimistic. Um, uh, we, we can't keep up with demand. So the, the future is bright. Um, there will be diversification in styles, and that's important. We're a nascent industry. You know, this is a viticultural industry being born, and it's happening right now in England. So, you know, it's incumbent upon us to try these things out, to be innovative, to try new styles, to try carbonation, charmat, new varieties, whatever it is. At the same time, as making the traditional method sparkling wines and, you know, competing on quality and price with champagne. So we make traditional method sparkling wines. That's the vast majority of what we make. You know, that is our main focus. We do also make a Bacchus, which is carbonated. Um, They're different styles of wine. They're for different occasions. Um, And what we need to do as an industry is to be inclusive. You know, actually, one of the things that people don't like about visiting certain wine regions is their exclusivity the fact that you have to make appointments before you book actually we want to welcome people into our vineyards explain to them the differences between the wines explain why they cost more or less to produce and why we can sell them at a higher or lower price uh, and help them understand it so it's that inclusivity that's key 
I think the, 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 the best thing is that we've got a very buoyant market and a marketplace where we're winning um, uh, consumers all the time. The communication about English wine, UK wine in general, is, is just getting stronger and stronger. And uh, we are winning precisely the, the, the market share that we want from traditional champagne drinkers. They are moving to English wine. And, uh, and particularly English sparkling wine. And this is, this is wonderful because we, we need this support. Also, our export markets, we're getting more and more awareness in um, uh, you know, countries abroad and, and export markets for the quality that we're producing on a consistent and reliable basis here in the UK. So that's, that's very, uh, very um, uh, encouraging. And um, I'm looking forward to traveling abroad and promoting our wines again soon. Um, well, I think it's very rosy. I think, you know, people are, are, really are, they're, they're not, I think, I think people aren't necessarily afraid of, of, uh, of the price tag. I think, you know, people are really into that buying local, supporting local businesses. And I think when they, once they have the confidence that they're going to get quality, I think, I think it's, it's, it's become a very easy sell. I also think that, you know, you need to look overseas. You need to look to the export markets and places like the Scandinavian countries, they're not afraid of price points. They have a, a high cost of living generally, and therefore they're not afraid. Um, likewise, in places like Canada, and I think maybe a little, a little bit lesser extent, the, the USA, but, but I think because of the reputation and because of the, the medals, the international recognition that we're getting now, then I, I just think that you know, the export is definitely, people have to look, look further afield. But I still think there's a huge headspace of growth in the UK, in the UK industry as a whole. You know, ultimately, you know, people just need to keep up that, keep up the production. But the quality, quality aspect is, is for me, is, is the most important. Clearly, world domination. I think, I think that is the future. Um, you know, but in all seriousness, we're going to see a lot more, more things being planted beyond sort of the three champagne varietals, which we're known for. Um, as we're, you know, you may not be aware, but we're seventy percent sparkling wine production. And in 2018, we saw an even split between still wine and sparkling wine, which meant that we had a lot of new still wines come in the market. I think we're going to see more of that. I think people are actually looking towards um, looking to produce more still wines and using interesting varietals that potentially haven't been untapped and something that's been more suitable for our climate, um, given our, our sort of climatic shifting that's occurring. So uh, a couple of things to pick up on there. Um, maybe best to start at the end with Sergio's point and also a point that Ruth made as well. Um, English still wines are so exciting. Um, <laughs> that's what they focus on the Black Book, isn't it? And yeah. their wines. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, if you want exciting. Are really good, but also, you know, and, and the best English and Welsh still wines out there. They're really something, aren't they? They are. They are. And and it, and it, it does seem that still still wine production is growing. You know, it was 28% of production in 2019, but then 36 in 2020, which is quite a mm, jump, really. A um, jump. You know, of course, that will vary. It's going to vary from right. year to year, given the weather. But um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of mileage in the still wines made from, you know, made whether they're made from different grape varieties. It might be Bacchus and Ortega, you know, some great mm. wines being mm. made from those varieties or the more familiar ones such as Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, but done in our own, you know, unique UK way. I mean, Chardonnay um, and Pinot Noir have to be the future, don't they? I mean, they're not going to be cheap. It's not going to be premium. only those, though. Okay, you know, you I, I really think, you know, yeah. so some of the, you know, um, yeah. something we tasted at YGB was, uh, you know, an Amphora Ortega, which was just one, fabulous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Loved that. Love. But different. It depends mm. what you want. So yeah. I mean, what, what we can do well is this variety of styles. I mean, 
mean, great, mm. fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, but but what I would say, what's lovely overall about UK still wine is that they tend to have a real sense of purity mm. and freshness. Mm. Mm. You know, Chablis isn't always quite as fresh as it used to be. I mean, yeah. that's a generalisation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so In a England world, yeah. can sort of move slightly into that space. Um, you know, lighter, elegant, lifted. Mm. You know, very food suited, wine Love suited that. to food. Food friendly wines. wines, they are the future, aren't they? So, you know, that's definitely one bright spot looking forward. Um, but generally speaking, the producers all sounded quite upbeat, didn't they? Did you get mm. that? I mean, you know, yeah. I, I know they're producers, they've got a vested interest, but it does You'd have to seem... be upbeat, wouldn't you, just even stop no, producing actually, wine in the UK? You've got, yeah, you've got, you've got to have happy pills. But you do. But equally, <laughs> we see a lot of, you know, producers from lots of different countries regularly. And I don't know, just for me, it does seem like the English producers are particularly sort of buzzing, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, yeah. they may be Who overworked, be? Yeah. troubled by the climate stuff, but they, 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 they just seem excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Liam at Danbury Ridge, you remember, calls it mm. frontier winemaking. And there is a there is that sense of a kind of a gold rush fever, but, yeah. you know, albeit in slow motion, because this is wine, of course, which takes time to produce <laughs> and isn't necessarily easy to sell. Yeah. But as Ruth said, you know, there's huge potential for growth. And, you know, Dermot touched on the same thing, the excitement about the potential to win over even more fans. Mm. And what about Josh's point about uh, inclusivity and diversity being the key? Yeah, but I mean, that, that's that's it. That's part of the excitement. You mm. need to try new things. That's It's that, I don't know, Silicon Valley mantra, move fast and break things. Mm. You know, some mm. things will work, some things won't. But you're never going to know unless you try. Um, you know, and right now, Britain is trying its hardest to be a world-class wine producer. It's proper drama. You can taste it in the glass or you can go and visit, like Josh mm. says, which is absolutely the best way to, to kind of make sense of it mm, all. Mm, mm. Yeah. OK, brilliant. Well, I think we're going to wrap things up there. Um, so, does that sound all right? You Sounds know, good to any me. Any more soapboxes you want to stand on? I've, I've, sat, I've stood on all the soapboxes okay, we have fine, right here. Fine. Broken um, them down. So um, we need to just remind you about our fantastic giveaway. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, just leave us a rating and a review. Uh, then let us know either by email at contact at suzyandpeter.com uh, or via social media. Um, links will be on the show notes. Uh, and you could win six delicious award-winning English or Welsh wines. Why not have a go? Seriously. And mm. um, we also wanted to mention our big English wine adventure, didn't mm. we? Which is a one-off project where we're making a trio of amazing English wines with all profits going to charity. The big news da, 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 is that we now have a charity. <laughs> And we also have a name for the sparkling wines, not revealing it just yet. Uh, We asked you guys for the suggestions and you answered in your drove. So huge thank you for that. So so what we also now have is a plan, which we haven't had before. We we rarely have a plan. We've got one for once. It feels a little strange. It does. A little unnerving. Disconcerting. Something called a timeline. Oh, gosh. No, we can't do that. So we wanted to have the most amount of fun and excitement with all of this. Um, So we will be announcing the charity and the name, both of which are... Brilliant. Uh, as well as the winners of our competition. Yes, that's, that's two, not, not one. Not one. Two. Uh, in a special exclusive podcast in early November. Uh, that's when the wines will be going on sale and when we want to make some some noise and, and then obviously start making some brilliant money for a very deserving cause. Yeah, we'll have, we'll have more details in due course, but please do listen out for that. In the meantime, we can't end an episode, can we, without a wine recommendation? No. So yeah, here you go. Yeah, here we are. Our recommendation this week is Digby Fine English Non-Vintage Brut. It mm. is a delicious, mm. traditional, traditional method, English sparkling wine that we gave a goal to at 
the YGB Awards this year. And frankly, I would happily drink that any day of the year. Well, you you would. You're a lush. I mean, you know. Um, I think didn't Digby do pretty well in general at the awards? <laughs> they did. They did. They're, they're a producer. They're really on form at the moment. Uh, well worth checking out. So Digby, yeah. Digby Fine English. And um, this particular wine is it's toasty and bready and rich. It's rounded, creamy, but also dry, very elegant. Um, Pinot Noir is the dominant variety with some Chardonnay from reserves and a touch of oak. Mm-hmm. Uh, all in all, so much wine for the price. Yeah, yeah. And that's, about, what is it? It's about 30 quid in the mm, UK, isn't it? Yes. It's, um, yeah. I think it's yeah. £29 Good if you value. buy more than six bottles on their website, Digby's website. Otherwise, I think it's about 32 quid. It's also in the Whiskey Exchange uh, if you shop there. It's also in the US uh, at around 40 to $50 in places like Wineworks, Granval, Yanis, Flatiron and Wine.com. Um, you can even, get this, find it at the Good Wine Company in Auckland, New Zealand. Oh. Spread the love. And what I love is the, the Digby's description of the wine on their website, which they describe it as, this is a because it's Tuesday wine. And this is a because it's wine podcast. <laughs> on which note, that's all from us. Thanks for listening. Do join us again next time and cheers. Cheers. <laughs>